This is Raptors Shootaround. It's on to the finals. A TSN 1050 playoff special. Oh, baby, what a play. The Raptors and the NBA Finals live here. Oh, yes, guy. Welcome aboard for hour number two. Raptors Shootaround, TSN 1050, TSN1050.ca. Coming up later in the in the hour, Chuck Swirsky, former radio play-by-play voice of the Raptors. And now with the Bulls, but right now we go to the Toronto Sun and Steve Simmons. Steve, welcome. How are you today, sir? I am well, and I'm thinking to myself, Jim, you and I were doing a show yes. about 26 <laughs> years ago. Yep. And we were talking about, like, this team that just won the World Series. Yeah. It seems like forever ago to me. It, well, it does. We were talking about the team that just won the World Series, and we were talking about uh, this possible basketball team and, you know, how could they get uh, the, the betting off pro line and how could that move forward? And, boy, talk about humble beginnings. Well, not just humble beginnings, but the NBA treated Toronto from the beginning sort of like, you know, a step kid. Um, they didn't exactly welcome Toronto and Vancouver to the NBA. They didn't exactly give them good draft situations. They didn't give them uh, decent rules on how they got some of the players they got. I mean, it was almost as though they set them up to fail. And so it took Toronto a long time to get out of that mix, if you want to call it that. And then when Vince Carter came, you know, that changed for a while. Vancouver never got over it, really. And I think the NBA took Vancouver, you know, way too soon from the market. Who knows what they would have become? It's been a pretty good run in Memphis for that franchise. But if you go through the bumps and the bruises, this isn't just a team about to win, if, if they are about to win. This is a team that had all the odds stacked against them. They had all the controversies. They had all the players who didn't want to be here. Um, from the first player, by the way, they ever drafted uh, in the expansion draft, B.J. Armstrong. He refused to report. That uh, that was like a setting a precedent moment at that point. I'm not going. And then after the years, you know, Alonzo Mourning didn't show up and Kenny Anderson wouldn't show up. And a lot of people, you know, if you go through it all. And I was there opening night, and I was a season ticket holder in the first year of the Raptors. Um, and, and so this is all these memories of so many different things are coming back to me today with the hopes or the belief that there will be a celebration in the city tonight. Yeah, you know, it's it's an interesting economic lesson. I mean, back then, uh, franchises were awarded in all leagues uh, based on what money you could extract for the franchise fee and not understanding that if you develop more revenue, everybody could share in it. And I think it took to the NHL in, in Vegas to, to, to sort of get over that, that, that stigma, if you will, that, that was attached to a, an expansion team. Well, what happened, the, the poor Raptors um, came in after Orlando. And Orlando had pretty quick success because... It got Shaq. Yeah. And, and the NBA, basically, the NBA owners said, we don't want another Orlando. We don't want a team to come in and then play for a championship reasonably quickly. You know, let them earn their way. And, and what's happened over the years, and this is what's so fascinating about what could be happening here. What's happened over the years is the NBA became the, the, a league like high school. The cool kids won. So LeBron and his buddies would go to Miami and they would win championships. And then Durant 
decided to join up with the great Golden State team already, and they won championships. And there was the guys who could win or might win and the rest of the league who never wins or never has a chance to win. And if you go through it, I mean, most of the, who's won the NBA titles over the years, you know, from the Kobe's to the Shaq's to the Michael Jordan's to the Isaiah Thomas's, you know, it's a small group of teams. It's not like the NFL or the NHL that way where different teams win, you know, quite often. Um, uh, you know, the Toronto's of the world aren't supposed to win. Well, and, and I think those other leagues, those, yeah, other, those other leagues preach, preach parity, right? Yeah, and and but the uh, the the uh, the other leagues, you know, can anyone can get to that point? You draft a Connor McDavid, and maybe you build around it. Look, I mean, although Milwaukee's doing that right now with Giannis, yeah. But this is this is this is an out of the world kind of one year magic um, bottle kind of thing. If you do the twelve months of Messiah Jerry <laughs> from the firing of Dwayne Casey to now. It's it's the most remarkable twelve months of any executive really in Toronto sports history. Well, it's, it's he, he, fought, he started by firing the coach of the year, yeah. which is unprecedented, really, and most wins in franchise history. To bring in a guy no one knew that much about, or as a head coach that much about, and that was before you know when Nick Nurse came in, he wasn't supposed to be coaching Kawhi Leonard and Marc Gasol. So then he trades for. He makes a controversial trade for 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 uh, Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green, and then you know at the deadline he's trying to get Miratic, and Milwaukee gets him, and so he then oh oh I better do something else I'll go get Marcus Gasol, and he did that and Marcus Gasol changed the Raptor team and and Kawhi Leonard you could argue has had the single greatest single season of almost any athlete ever played in the city. Well, if even you, though he only played sixty games in the season, if you think about what he did, I mean, he he, he let go of the coach of the year. He uh, then let go some some draft picks, and you know how general managers and front offices are that that uh, they they fall in love with their draft picks because it sort of justifies their existence. He made some really tough decisions. Uh, he and his general manager and and rolled the dice, and they all worked out. Uh, I'm just really uh, impressed with the fact that they got Kawhi Leonard because in a top heavy league, I, I thought the Raptors would never get that guy. Well, they. For a short time, I guess Vince was about to become that guy, yeah. or may have become that guy, but he wasn't complete the way Kawhi Leonard has been complete. This has been an education this season. Uh, you know what we might have seen from afar in San Antonio on a team we maybe watched four times a year. Um, you didn't get a, a complete sense of how great a basketball player this guy is, and now you're looking at you know was it 14? Games, 30 points or more? Yeah, 30 points, That's, yeah. You know who did that last year? A guy named LeBron James. Yeah. And he didn't win, they didn't win the title. He, he did it 14 times. Um, he's putting up numbers for the ages right now. He's putting up, like, he's having one of the greatest playoffs ever. Now, we did see that with Doug Gilmore in 93. You know, that's one of the, you know, yep. great playoff seasons held by anyone. Um, but he didn't get to the final round. And, you know, you know, Masai and, and the Raptors may not have gotten here had the ball not bounced and bounced and bounced and bounced. You know, who knows what would have happened if they went to overtime with Philly. But this is all part of the whole story and the magic. They've got their bounces. 
and these guys have played and and the coach has turned out to be a terrific coach and the players seem to love playing for him and and Kyle Lowry sort of the semi angry point guard you know is 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 now Mr. Mature and and Pascal Siakam who's just a guy is now you know verging on NBA stardom and all these things happening in the same year it's 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 just a phenomenal story and I think that's why the whole country is engaged in it. And so much of it, I tweeted this out this morning. Canadian teams, and we forget this now, Canadian teams won championships in, in the three major leagues that they participate in. In 84, 85, 86, 87, 88, 89, 90, 92, and two teams in 93. Since then, no one. It's a, it's a long drought. I, I like that you brought up Doug Gilmore because this is always the missing piece when you're building. Uh, in, the, in the heat of the moment, in a key playoff game, the guy who has the look on his face and then does the play, with Kawhi Leonard, there's not necessarily a look on his face, but you just watch what he does to keep his team involved. And, and Friday night's a good example. They were desperate in that first quarter. 17 points, he has 14. I mean, this guy is fun to watch. Well, you, you say he never... Sh- he never uh... What's about expression? Yeah. Well, he has the same expression. I think that's part of the story. Yeah. Is that Kawhi Leonard's unemotional calmness, his every day is the same and we are playing for this long-term goal, has affected everybody around there. Now, you add Marc Gasol to the mix. Guys play, what, in two, I think, gold medal basketball games at the Olympics uh, for his country? Uh, and has never gotten far or far enough in the NBA playoffs. His brother obviously did. But here, here's a guy who came in here with the same kind of confidence. He maybe has more of an expression and emotion when, when he's playing. But you bring in Kawhi's calmness. Danny Green knows what's already going on. You bring in Gasol. You bring in a coach who, who doesn't raise his voice very often. Not like He's not a yeller. He's not a screamer. He's not a blamer. The players have really come to sort of take to this guy. And, you know, he coached against Mike Budenholzer, you know, who's going to be the coach of the year in the NBA, and out-coached him in the Milwaukee series. And some people will tell you he's out-coached Steve Kerr in this series. Although I'm wondering how healthy the Warriors really are and how, you know, broken down they might be. All that said, it's just this confluence of things happening together and you get, you know, that calmness that Kawhi brings. It's almost like a zen-like approach to basketball. And then you add in a Gasol who's calm for the other players. And you add in you know, each player. And so you watch this team walk off the floor in Oakland the other night after <laughs> winning the biggest game in, in the franchise history. You should have seen Larry Tannenbaum out in the hallway with Nurse. They were, like, almost hugging each other like they were dancing at a wedding. And they hadn't won the championship yet. The players, expressionless, walked off the floor like nothing had happened. No sell, no high fives, no smiles, no anything. Like there was. Remember the Blue Jays when they went to the ALCS those two years? Yeah. You know when they won the wild card. You know they're spraying champagne. Yeah. And they win the when they win the division series, they're spraying champagne. Like it's the complete opposite of what you're seeing with the Raptors now. Like there's not going to be a drop of anything. Until that buzzer goes, and there's something won. Like, that's just who they are. And it's funny, I've talked to Kyle Lowry a lot over the years about 
his goal has always been, I want to be a champion. I want to be a champion. That's sort of been his mantra. And when you heard him say it, you never believed it because, frankly, the team wasn't good enough. And now he's one game away, and I asked him the same question yesterday. What does this feel like? We've got one more to go. We have to win one more game. Like the, it, the zen of Kawhi is everywhere on, the, on this Raptors team, which makes what happens after today not as fascinating as what could happen today, but pretty darn interesting. Well, since you brought up Kyle Lowry, I mean, he is uh, his maturation is fun to watch, and you know you can remember the pouting, sort of reluctant centerpiece of, of the Raptors is now bought into the the Kawhi Leonard, uh, I guess, uh, calmness and and uh, control of emotions, and it's just uh, it's impressive to watch, isn't it? Yeah, you know, here's a guy. I think anybody who's who's gotten married and had kids and grown up will understand that you know you're different at 20 than you are at 30. I mean, you're different at 30 than you were at 20. And you're different at 32 than you were at 25. And I think, so you've seen all the things that have happened to Lowry in his personal life, you know, a good family situation, kids, he's happy, he's like Mr. Dad, you know, there's all that kind of thing. He's, he's, he's one of the few people who's really engaged in the city because his kids are in school here and it's different. He doesn't leave the day the season ends like a lot of athletes tend to do in their, in their sports. But you have that. But I thought about that situation on the court in Oakland in Game 3 when the minority owner from the oh, right. Warriors, you know, abused, verbally abused him and, and all that. Yeah. Well, I think Kyle Lowry five years ago might have, like, gone off on the guy. Yeah. I was I, not saying he would have punched him or hit him or whatever, but he might have been in his face and just given it right back to him. This time he turns around, points to the referee, says, Let's get this guy out of here. Like, no, no huffing, puffing, none of the old sort of what you might have seen from Kyle as a kid. And, and it's, it, you know, for, for guys of our age, Jim, it's great to see these people grow up before our eyes. And so yeah, I wrote, I think at the end of, not the Cleveland series last year, but two years ago, I wrote one, one of two people have to go, either Lowry or Casey, because you can't have, this sort of constant knocking of heads between your head coach and your, and your best or second best player. And, and I know Dwayne Casey got real upset at me for writing that. Um, and Kyle, not so much. Uh, he may not have seen it. Uh, a lot of the basketball players don't look at the local papers at all. Um, but that said, I really believed it at the time. And now you see him fitting in, changing his game, not becoming the you know, the lead dog, so to speak, not becoming the most important scorer, but doing so many things that make his game better and that complements the people that they're playing with. And now everything starts with Kawhi Leonard, like everything. And that's the amazing part of this is that no matter what circumstance seems to have been thrown at the Raptors in these playoffs, the fact that they play defense this well and he's their best defensive player, and the fact that they never seem to get rattled, and that's him, you know, you just see, you see his fingerprints and the fact that he's the best scorer and the best rebounder and, and all those other things. Um, you know, it's just his fingerprints are everywhere here. Steve, thanks very much. We'll see you later today. Now, how excited are, we, are you for tonight? I just a lot of anticipation just because, you know, I'm going to let the story develop, obviously, as you will. But, but I mean, it, it could be a very, very special night, a, a one-off to cover, that's for sure. I never experienced Christmas 
so I'm thinking today I'm kind of feeling like this is my first day of Christmas. <laughs> it's, there's a joy in the air, isn't there? Yeah, there is. Yeah. And, 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 and we hope it continues through the night. Yeah, well said. Thanks, Steve. Be, be well. You too. Thank you. At Simmons Steve is the Twitter account. Steve Simmons, our good friend from the uh, Toronto Sun. And yes, we did do a radio show 26 years ago. Oh, my. Kurt Heelan from NBCSports.com at Basketball Talk is the Twitter account is next. This is Raptors Shootaround. TSN 1050, TSN1050.ca, also available in the TSN and iHeartRadio apps. Pre-game coverage starts at 7 on TSN 1050 tonight. I'll be with Dwayne Watson live from the Scotiabank Arena, the tip at 9. Game 5 of the NBA Finals. Chuck Skorsky, the former Raptors play-by-play voice, will join us in the next segment. Right now, Kurt Heelan at Basketball Talk is the Twitter account. He's the lead NBA writer and managing editor at NBCSports.com. Kurt, welcome in. How are you today? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me in. Our pleasure. I really, I've said this many times, I love the best 4 to 7 format because it allows the opportunity for everything to happen. Having said that, we haven't seen everything. What's been missing so far for you in this series? Well, I think the biggest I, I, the biggest thing is the thing that changes tonight, right? <laughs> you do get Kevin Durant back, and that puts this is a Warriors team that was built around four stars and not much depth, right? I think we saw that in this series. You know, it, uh, if you're playing, look, Alfonso McKinney, bless him, is not really a Finals player. Uh, they, you know, they had to have Jonas Durepko out there for stretches. It's just not been the Warriors team that they wanted to put forward. I, you know. The problem is, look, that's the breaks. They didn't have those guys out there. Now they're in, in a hole that I don't think they can get out of regardless. But it makes the series more interesting. It certainly makes the matchups more interesting starting tonight. Um, assuming he plays. I know he's technically questionable, but at this point I'd be pretty shocked if he's not out there. Yeah, I mean, if he doesn't play in an elimination game, he doesn't play, right? Exactly. Yeah, I, I'm curious. You know I, how well he's going to move, though. I know that that you know they, they've been putting him through stuff. They've been taking their time a little bit with this, but you know, honestly, if I'm the Raptors, I'm dragging him into some pick and rolls in the first minute minutes of this game. Like I just I want to see how he moves. I want to see how he moves laterally. But I think the advantage for the the Warriors, outside the fact that look, before he got injured, Kevin Durant was. I mean, we were using him in the same breath with Kawhi Leonard for how well they were playing through the early rounds of this playoffs. Um, he's, he's, you know, one of the best players on the planet. But more than just whatever they get from him, even if he's obviously his conditioning isn't going to be there, he might be moving a little bit slowly. Even if you're getting, you know, seventy percent of him or whatever it is, the fact that you're not playing Alfonso McKinney and the fact that you can now play the death lineup, which means you don't have to play a lot of Demarcus Cousins. In fact, I. I he might not play. They might just start the, the, the death lineup five and not even play DeMarcus Cousins and go small from the start. The fact that they can start doing those things and reducing the minutes of guys who are just who have gotten in trouble in this series certainly helps them. Uh, there are a number of things that the Raptors have done here that, that are surprising to us. I don't know if they are to you. The, the going big uh, in Game 4 for a while that was effective, uh, uh, the box and one thing. I mean, what jumps off the page for you that the, the Raptors have done where you it sort of raised your eyebrows and went, oh, really? Yeah, I think, well, the box and one obviously caught everybody a little off guard because you know, that's just not an NBA defense. But I think what Nick Nurse has done is not only is he really – a guy who tries a lot of different things and does a lot of different things, um, you know, and is willing to experiment to see what works. Hey, maybe maybe if we do big, you know, go all big for a few minutes, it will throw them off because it did. Yeah. 
but it's just that it, that he did this all season long, right? I mean, all season long, Nick Nurse played more defensive styles in some ways and threw out different lineups and experimented to make this team flexible in a way that, that Dwayne Casey, that's just not his style. Dwayne Casey is going to be much more straightforward. In fact, I was talking with Danny Green about this uh, during the series. He's like, yeah, Greg Popovich doesn't really do this, right? Greg Popovich decides what he has, and he likes lineups and matchups, but he doesn't throw things out like, like Nurse does and see what sticks against the wall. But that really works for him in this series because he's been able to throw things at the Warriors that they will adjust to. This is still a, you know, this is still a really good, really high IQ team across from you. But if you can throw them off for five minutes here or three minutes there and make a little run, that, that's a huge advantage. I mean, really, to use the 82 regular season uh, as as an audition for uh, what you could do in the playoffs is one thing, but to sort of carry that into the playoffs is another, isn't it? It is, and a lot of coaches get tight, and I think that that's to really one of the big things to Nurse's credit. A lot of coaches in that situation just start, you know, like you said, they get tight, they get a little nervous, they don't play the same way, they just get a little, you know, a little safe, a little conservative, and <laughs> Nurse, to his credit, has not done that. And I don't know if that's his background coming out of, you know, as you said, he's coached in the G League, he's coached all over the world, he's coached in other venues, and so he's just. He treats this a little differently than I think some of the other coaches, but that's proven to be a really good thing. I want to bounce this off. I mean, just from what we've talked about here, I think a lot of front offices, uh, maybe players, maybe coaching staff, suffer from insecurity, meaning that uh, if, if the failure happens, they may lose their job. But when you look at what the Raptors have done with all the trading, the bringing in Kawhi Leonard Gasol at the deadline, uh, the way Nick Nurse coaches, the way the players respond, I mean, there is no insecurity here, is there? No, and I think Masai, to his credit, there's only a couple of guys out there who I think would have had the guts to make what was, you know, trading the most popular player on the team and and maybe, you know, the greatest player in franchise history away to take this kind of chance requires a comfort level with, I'm not going to get fired. Ownership's going to be okay with this. I can do, you know, obviously you run it past them, but I can make this kind of move. How many GMs are out there? Danny Ainge has that kind of power. But there's not many others. Like, there's maybe a couple if I thought, thought it through, but that security, that comfort level that I'm not, I'm not going to lose my job for this gamble allows you to take risks and roll dice that other, other GMs can't, and it can pay off. It can pay off huge. Well, most general managers fall in love with their own draft picks, don't they? Yeah, well, exactly. And every team tends to, over, fan bases do this too, we tend to overestimate what we have, right? We're like, oh, my God, you know, this player X, you know, you see it actually, you know where you see it. It's not something the Raptors have been directly involved in, but the, the Anthony Davis trade talks. Right. And you've got, you know, I'm out in Los Angeles, and you listen to Laker fans, and, you know, they're talking about trading Brandon Ingram and or Lonzo Ball, and there's segments of that fan base that are like, you, you, you think they were trading Kawhi Leonard. You're like, oh, I don't know if we can give up both of them for Anthony Davis. I'm like, have you watched Anthony Davis play? Huh. Yes, you give them up. Um, you take this risk. Um, and I think, though, that that happens to, not as much with, player, with franchises, but it happens internally. It does happen where you're like, because you see this guy every day and you see him work out and you see the potential and you believe in that potential more than a team that doesn't see him every day and they just see him on the court or at Summer League or wherever they see these guys with potential. And they, they, you, you, you're invested in that guy. You've drafted him. You've trained him. And you want to believe he can be the guy you think he can be, 
when the reality is he just probably isn't going to be that guy a lot of the time. Kurt Heelan is our guest at Basketball Talk. is the Twitter account. He's the lead NBA writer, managing editor at NBCSports.com. Kurt, uh, when you go back over the Raptors Game 4 win, uh, we would call it here the, the biggest win in Raptors franchise yeah. history. I mean, the, the way they went about that was really stunning, wasn't it? From the opening gun, they just really came out and went at them and took control of that. Well, I guess not. The, I mean, it was really what the second quarter, but they yeah. really started to take control of that game. It was a sloppy start. Both teams, so both teams looked a little nervous, honestly, because that was the first time I'd seen the, the moment kind of get to what seemed to be both teams. Nobody could everybody, nobody could knock down threes, especially in the first half. But the third quarter, you know, they got they they, they should come in the second game to the standard what happens to so many teams, which is the Warriors just come out in the third quarter and blow their doors off. Um, and that's always been the, for five years now, that's been the MO, that they they can kind of toy with teams. They get a little bored. They're like a cat with a ball of yarn for a while. And then, you know, they come out in the third quarter and just smoke. This is a team that can match them. And the last two games came out and not only matched them, but beat them in the third quarter. And I think that that's part of what's demoralized to, um, the Warriors. That The Warriors, to me... There comes a point in every series where, well, almost every series, not something that goes seven, but in any series that ends earlier, there comes a point where one team knows it's in trouble, where it really knows it's beaten. And that was what the Warriors looked like to me. And the only thing that ever changes that, the only time I've seen it change is, you know, the 3-1 comeback for the Cavs the other year uh, in 2016. But what changed was, you know, Green was out for a game. Also, people forget Andrew Bogut, who played really well for them, was injured. In that game, like, he wasn't back, and suddenly the dynamic changed for them. The, I, the Warriors have to hope that Durant can be that kind of change of the dynamic guy because they, they looked beaten last game. They looked demoralized. They looked like we don't have the answers for what Toronto's asking. And I'm not sure that, frankly, you know, I wrote that this morning, I just don't think it's enough. I don't think Durant, for one, you know, for the, even for these last three games, is going to be enough because Toronto's too good. They're, you know, this is, this, this, it's too late now. But I think that's obviously the hope on Golden State side is that this changes the dynamic. So if this tracks the way it's supposed to and the Raptors win this, what, what effect does uh, Toronto Raptors winning the NBA championship have on the league? Um, that, that's a good question. Um, I think, <laughs> I mean, you'd like to say everybody's a copycat, but copy, like I said, a lot of teams are just, A, you can't copycat. Kawhi Leonard that easily. And the, the model is something that I think what they're doing is what you're seeing the model in, and more teams are going to try to do, but it's the model in Milwaukee as well, which is we want long, athletic, versatile, switchable guys who, have, who, who aren't just – look, if you're just going to be a point guard, you better be really good at just being a point guard, right? You, you can't – you know, you've got to be Kyle Lowry level or above. You can't just be – Kemba Walker maybe. You can't just do that. If you're going to be a center, you've got to be more Serge Ibaka, who can play four, play five, step out. Marcus Gasol with his passing. If you're going to be, if you're going to be a traditional center, you better be Rudy Gobert. Like you better be really, really good at this, or you can't. That switch, that move towards versatility, I think, is where the league is headed. I think Toronto's just because of a, a really smart front office is, a, is ahead of that curve. Uh, maybe a tough question to answer, but but is there anybody who reminds you this year of what the Raptors were last year and can do what the Raptors did? Team on the verge, knocking on the door that needs a big. You know who'd be interesting? And I just mentioned a player from there. I still think Utah's like one guy away in the West, right? Like if if you got a second shot creator, I mean it's a different style of play, but they are long, they are athletic, they can shoot, they play great defense. Their problem becomes 
you can make life difficult for any one player in the playoffs, in their case, Donovan Mitchell, and then they just don't have enough shot creation. If they land somebody like they hope, you know, they're, they're, they're going to be big on Tobias Harris. They're trying to get Mike Conley. They land somebody like that. That becomes a much more interesting team that can kind of make a leap because they've got really good players around them. And I don't think people realize how good they are. Kurt, thanks very much. Really appreciate it. Hey, anytime. Enjoy the game tonight. Thank you. We will. It'll be certainly a momentous night one way or the other. That's Kurt Heelan at Basketball Talk is the Twitter account. He is the lead NBA writer, managing editor at NBCSports.com. Just have enough time to squeeze in my Alex McKechnie story. So this goes back um, a couple of years ago when I did this on a regular basis. I was doing the Leafs and Raptors, and and my home was here at at 1050 in Toronto. And and so when I did the Raptors games, we would have supper in the media room. And uh, generally, you try to cozy up around uh, Jack and Matt as they were getting set to, to do their call. And Rod Black as well, had supper with the three of them and, and Alex McKechnie would always be seated there talking with uh, basketball with those three guys and, and of course you'd listen and, and pick up pointers and, and what he was talking about was uh, making you understand injury situations uh, not necessarily to be quoted but so you had the background in case you had to paraphrase or, or fill a spot or make people understand uh, why people were, were not playing and, and he spent an inordinate amount of time, didn't have to do that, I mean I don't know how many assistant coaches sit there and talk uh, to to media people before broadcast. He was the only guy I could ever remember who would do that. And if he saw you in the hall, he'd say hi to you and and pull you aside. And and if you had a question, he would answer it. I mean, that's the kind of guy Alex McKechnie is. And when you get into that load management situation, uh, it's groundbreaking what he's done, but not a surprise. I have to say that. All this stuff that we talk about in a positive nature or sometimes in a negative nature is not by accident. It's the result of a daily routine that happens year after year after year that turns into decades and you could see the build there. And that's what I think a lot of people are impressed about with the Raptors. You could see the build there. And so there's a lot of anticipation in the air. I'm not going to jump on the bandwagon because that's not what I'm paid to do. But but there is a joy in the air. There's anticipation in the air. And an interesting day, to say the very least, ahead. Coming up next, Chuck Swirsky will join us and you on Raptors Shootaround. TSN 1050, tsn1050.ca, and also available on the TSN and iHeartRadio apps. Hey, what's the rush? Oh, sorry, guy. Raptor Shootaround, TSN 1050, tsn1050.ca, here until 1. Leafs Lunch with Andy Petrillo will not be with us today because we want to continue to cover this story. Jack Armstrong at the top of the hour. Matthew Cause later on as well. But right now, former voice of the Raptors, Chuck Swirsky at CTS Bulls is the Twitter account. Chuck, welcome. How are you today, sir? Good. Pass on my best to my former broadcast partner, Mr. Armstrong. I will. I will do that. Um, and and I guess you know, just to sort of a. Uh, I'll give you the opportunity, the platform here. What do you want to say to Raptors fans right now? I'm excited. I'm excited for the fan base. I'm excited for the city. Obviously, the country. I know the uh, the adrenaline is pumping right now, and I'm just thrilled. I really am. I mean, this is. If you go back to the expansion season. And then the different layers that peel back to this point, it's just an amazing, amazing journey. It is, and, and the last year has been really special. I mean, you go through all that pain and, and uh, I guess, growing pains as well as emotional pain when things don't work out, and then you have a front office that pulls the trigger on three or four decisions, and, and one of them is the, saying goodbye to the coach of the year. I mean, this stuff is really remarkable, isn't it? Well, I mean, it's remarkable. I mean, think about what Messiah has done. I mean, again, Masai knows exactly what he's doing. And, um, you know, in this sport, it's very unforgiving. But you have to make tough, tough calls. You have to, or else you shouldn't be in that position. And he has really embraced his role. 
I mean, Dwayne Casey is beloved by everyone, and I mean everyone, not only in Toronto, mm-hmm. but the NBA is such a classy individual. And then you have DeMar DeRozan, and everyone feels the same way about DeMar. But he had to go out and make a best decision for the betterment of the franchise. And that doesn't necessarily take anything away from Dwayne or DeMar. It's where this was going, this vision, this plan. And it certainly has paid off. Uh, when you watch Game 4, to me, that is, that is for me, the biggest win in franchise history. That was somewhat remarkable, wasn't it? Well, it, it was truly remarkable. I mean, listen, um, Golden State is a terrific ball club. And I know the absence of Durant is huge. I mean, arguably, whether you want to say he's the best player in the game, he's in the top two, top three, whatever. But this has been a significant loss. Having said that, a team has to take care of business when you lose a player of that magnitude. And the Raptors did that. So, again, I understand the, the, the mindset of people saying, well, what happens if Durant? We'll never know. Now, if he plays tonight, that's one thing. But he still won't be the Durant that we know that has you know, carried that Golden State ball club along with Thompson and Curry. But the truth of the matter is, you can't worry about that. You have to take care of your own business, which the Raptors have done. Yeah, they've done a nice job of that. This is a team that gets better by the round, comes up with solutions in-game, and responds to losses like, like nobody that, that, uh, that I can recall here before. But certainly that's, that's championship caliber, isn't it? Well, it is. I mean, you know what, Jim? You're, you're looking at a situation where this is, um, to use the cliche, of course, we never do that. But, I mean, this has been a chess match. And when you get into a series, um, whether it's opening round or now the NBA Finals, you make adjustments and you look for everything and anything that you can tweak. And I think Nick Nurse deserves a ton of credit. I mean, a lot of credit. Because I know the Raptors are banged up. And I know that Ananobi would have been a huge plus. And, you know, you're looking from quarter to quarter, what you can do when you spot something. And I think he really settled in. After that second game in Milwaukee where they were down 2 nothing. it showed the resiliency and character of the Toronto Raptors. And one thing Nick Nurse has proven, that he can, he can take the heat. And, and in the kitchen right now, he's cooking it up. I mean, this guy has been a master chef. Uh, Nick Nurse has done a, a marvelous job. We all appreciate that here. Um, who would you compare him to? Because he's really got an open mind, and that isn't always the case. Who would I compare him to? Wow. Well, I mean, since he's in his first year as a head coach in the NBA, I mean, you know, I think Nick Nurse is, is Nick Nurse. I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not really into comparisons, especially in a coaching situation, because I think he's just going to get better and better. And I think especially now that uh, he's elected to coach the Canadian national team, I, I think it's going to only help him because the more, the more you can coach and the more you can learn about yourself, relationships with players, picking things up from other coaches that you see. Um, I know I've talked to a lot of coaches, Jim, in the NBA that have picked things up even when they watch a high school game. Their kids are playing. All of a sudden they see something that a high school coach runs and he says, you know what, I'm going to try that in practice to see, you know, if we can incorporate this or if they see an NCAA game, you know, whether it's full court press. I mean, Nick Nurse used a box and one. And I know Jeff Van Gundy kind of gave him a little tweak on that. But the truth of the matter is it worked. So, you know what, my job as a head coach is to put my team in a position to be successful. And he's done that. 
Well, that level of partnership that exists between Nick Nurse and, and, and the playing roster, is that, I mean, how often do you see that in the NBA? Well, I mean, listen, Jim, it changes year to year. I mean, that's what chemistry in the locker room, and right now the chemistry, obviously, with the Raptors is very, very good. And, and one thing about the sports, especially at a very high level, you have got to have a relationship with every player. And I'll never forget a quote. In fact, a, a quote that has been used many, many times by a lot of coaches when they put a ball club together with their general manager, sometimes the most important players, not the most important, but is very central, is who's going to be the 10th, 11th, and 12th guys on your club. Because you need those players to understand their role, that they're going to have to buy in, that they know exactly on a pecking order who is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, maybe nine. And they need to practice hard. They need to have a great attitude. And that's what I'm seeing from the Raptors. I mean, this is, this is a business. I get it. But this is also, you got to check your ego at the door and sacrifice. And the players have done that. Well, led by Kawhi. I mean, he's the ultimate with the uh, the game matters more than anything else, and and he's in the moment. I don't I don't recall seeing that in anybody in the Raptors before. Well, I mean, there there have been you know players that have passed through obviously during the twenty four years that have played in that moment, but not at this level. I mean, you know, the Raptors never got to this level. Let alone you know when I when I was broadcasting games. I mean, we were looking at a very very young club with uh, you know McGrady and Carter and then Bosch came in at the age of 19, just turned 19, and Vince was 21. McGrady came out of school at 18, and you know, fortunately, Glenn Grunwald then surrounded them with you know, Kevin Willis and Charles Oakley and Doug Christie and Dee Brown and whatnot. But at this level, no. I mean, no one has ever seen this with Raptors, period, with what Kawhi is doing. Uh, one of the things we look forward to on a nightly basis, aside from the brilliance of Kawhi Leonard, would be who helps him, who chips in. And that was uh, Serge Ibaka in the last game. You don't know who it's going to be tonight. Who do you think will, will step up with Kawhi tonight? Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a big believer in Fred Van Vliet. And uh, I love Fred. I, I think he is uh, the consummate pro. I mean, he, he has a tremendous uh, attitude and personality when he's on the floor. And I, I, I think that it's been, it's been an education for a lot of fans, especially in the United States, that are really getting their first heavy dose of the Raptors. I mean, Toronto has been on national TV a handful of times, but not to this level, obviously, where they're shown on ESPN, now ABC in the States, and TNT. And for, for players like Fred, who have risen to the occasion, I mean, you know, Danny Green has played on the big stage. Kawhi has played on the big stage. We've seen Ibaka with Oklahoma City and whatnot. Marcus Gasol has played with Memphis in the grindhouse and whatnot. But for fans to get you know, an idea who Pascal Siakam really is and the unbelievable story of his background, and for Fred to do what he's doing, you know, as an undrafted player, gives hope to a lot of players right now uh, throughout basketball who on June 20th won't get picked who will be going into summer league or G League trial camps with the hope of doing something. And I think that's a great storyline, and that's why I'm excited to see what transpires tonight. Yeah, that's uh, player development, which is something the Raptors have written the book on also, isn't it? Well, it is, especially now, uh, because what's going to happen, Jim, uh, you know, with the the cap, and it's going to be interesting as we move forward uh, with this thing, where the cap is at, does it go up a little bit, does it go down, the max contracts, 
Supermax contracts are going to affect the roster as we see what Golden State is doing because their bench is very, very thin and probably at times average to a little bit below average if they don't play up to their capabilities. And you're going to have to have player development. I mean, you're going to have to have a guy like Alfonso McKinney who is in the Raptors system and then Golden State, you know, picked him up and he has played well. But that just didn't happen overnight. That's credit to the player, but also the Warriors staff to work with him and say, okay, we're going to polish your strengths and we need to fix your weaknesses. And that's what player development is. Player development is, and here's a basketball, and we're going to go around the free throw line, and you're going to take 100 shots. It's okay. Let's, let's break down your shot. Let's break down your release point. Let's break down your angles when you have to cover a man on a wing. Let's work on pick and roll and know when to release. All those things go into player development. And I think you know, two, two teams that really you look at Golden State's development along with the Raptors, there's a reason why they're there. And a lot of teams are, are into player development, and they should, and that's how you get a player better. I mean, Jim, sometimes you draft a player, and their ceiling might be a six, six, six and a half, maybe a seven, and they come to you as a five, a five and a half. But if you can raise that level to maybe a notch or a little bit better than a notch, you've done your job. I mean, you can't expect a player to go from a, a three to an eight, but you can expect with the right player development and the skill set of a player to improve if you have the right people around them. Chuck, as you can imagine, the city is full of anticipation. So is the country. What should we look for tonight? Well, uh, again, you know what? Uh, regardless, and you're going to find out probably soon about Durant. They're going to maybe call it a game-time decision. Maybe they'll release an update. I know it was questionable as of this morning. But even if he plays, I mean, what, what type of player are we looking at? And I mean, this is hard. He hasn't played in a long, long time. And, you know, arguably, he's already a lock for the Hall of Fame. But you can only ask so much out of a player who hasn't played at an NBA tempo. It's one thing to get one practice in or to run sprints. It's another to play in an NBA game. I think the Raps are going to win it tonight. I really do. I, I, I think that the, the country is so amped. The players are. I, I, I got to believe they want to get this thing over with right now. And not worry about people talking about game six because you know what's going to happen. If there's a game six, nobody's going to talk about a game six. They're going to talk about a game seven. So for the Raptors, you don't worry about six and seven. You worry about tonight, and you focus on tonight, and you focus on every quarter. And if they do that, they're going to be victorious. So I, I probably asked you this before, but when you, when you sit there uh, and, and you watch the Raptors play, knowing your history with the team, how does that feel? Well, it feels great. I mean, I, I, you know what? I think of a lot of people that uh, I first met when I came to Toronto, and I'm not only talking about Jim MLSE people. I'm talking about people that, you know, were my next-door neighbors, and I saw them pick up a basketball for the first time in their driveway shooting hoops. I remember, you know, taking my kids to practice for the Burlington Panthers and people like Ron Foxcroft and Jack Armstrong and people that were just tremendous support systems. And, I mean, I, I, you know, I go back to the roots of basketball and how those 10 years of my life, 10 of the greatest years of my life, and how I saw this sport develop and relationships with family members and, and neighbors. I mean, it, it was awesome. And then Judy and Larry Tannenbaum, who without question, I love Larry and Judy so much and what they've been through with the Raptors and the Leafs and whatnot. I, I can't wait to have them go through a parade because they deserve it. They are unbelievable human beings. 
Chuck, extremely well said. Thanks very much and all the best. All right, Jim. Thank you. Our pleasure. Chuck Swirsky at CTS Bulls is the Twitter account. As we head to the top of the hour, the bonus hour, Leafs Lunch has the day off. And uh, Andy was uh, nice enough to give us the hour. So coming up next, we'll have Jack Armstrong, Matthew Cause, who takes over at one, and uh, some sound and some thoughts on what could happen in the next, uh, let's do some math here, in the next, uh, what, 12 hours. Okay, that's safe. The next 12 hours. This is Raptor Shootaround, TSN 1050, tsn1050.ca, also available on the TSN and iHeartRadio apps.